flowing from my heart could go on and on and on. Do you have some of those stories? Could you go on and on and on about how God's been good in your life? Could you go on and on and on about moments when you didn't know what was going to happen and then somehow made it through? Can you go on and on, gratefully, gratefully talking about the stories of God's love expressed in your life in each and every time, even the times that seemed like you were in exile, the times that seemed that you were out of your own home? Could you go on and on about God being with you present even then? Even then, I love that song, Grateful, and I love pairing it to the song we heard between Ruth and Naomi. Thank you, Jubilee Theater, for doing that for us. It owns, it talks about the time when there's so much dust around, you can't tell what's happening. And it says, when the dust settles, we're going to look for the love that God's going to rebuild. When the dust settles... And I love that sometimes that is such a perfect expression of how it feels. Our lives are just a bit too dusty. It's a little bit too hazy for us to see. And we might want to be grateful on and on, but still, it seems like so much is getting kicked up. Staying grateful in that moment isn't quite as easy. But the song says, we're there looking for the dust to settle. Looking for the dust to settle to look at what love's going to rebuild, to look at what love's going to rebuild, what God's going to do in our life. Sometimes when it's hard to trust that, we need to know that that love is flowing in and through us. The seed has been planted and it's growing even if it hasn't broken the surface yet so that we can go on and on and on trusting in God's love for us. We have one of those books in the Bible today, the, the book of Ruth, that we're going to be studying for these four weeks. And if you didn't get the message early to read chapter one before you got here today, which I doubt you did, you can read it when you go home. And then before you come next Sunday, read chapter two. And then chapter three for the third and chapter four for the fourth. We're going to go through the entire book of Ruth for Pride Month because we can tell stories as a people of pride, of a love that we're proud of, a love that we're proud of in our own families, a love that we're proud of in this congregation, this community, for so many things it's done, a love that talks about all the people whose shoulders upon whom we stand to even be here this day. And we're going to talk about those stories throughout the month of pride as we explore the story of this family, this family of Ruth and Naomi. So I only get to talk about chapter one today. So you have to come next week to find out what happens next in the story. But it's actually a wonderful and fascinating chapter because we heard part of it acted out of what's going on. And to get the backstory in the first paragraph, what happens is Ruth is a part of Naomi's family through marriage. Ten years before this happens, Naomi and her husband Elimelech leave town, leave Bethlehem, because there's a famine. So they're actually forced to migrate. They're forced to leave because there isn't enough to sustain them. So they leave Bethlehem and they go into the land of Moab. And they go into this place that they're not familiar with, with their two sons, Kilian and Melon. But something about those names tells you something's not right even at the beginning. 
So she goes into Moab with these two sons, whose names essentially mean disease and not long for this world. And we hear 10 years later that they've died. Before they've died, they found two wives for them from the local women that are there. So Moabites, not Jewish folk, but Moabites. And so 10 years before, they are forced to leave in order to find food. I don't know if you've ever been forced to leave something before because there's just no sustenance for you there anymore. And they live for 10 years in this place of Moab. In this place of Moab. And then hard times come again. And they get word. They get word during the hard times in Moab that bread has returned to the house of bread. Bethlehem is translated as the house of bread. So in this story, they're making a play on the words, but bread has returned to the house of bread, to Bethlehem. So they leave Moab to head home. And that's when we get to the action from today. Do the new daughter-in-law go back to Bethlehem with Naomi or not? What's the best thing for this family? And Naomi's not sure. You know, does she want to be tied down with two foreign daughter-in-laws? You know, is that the best story for them? And so she's telling them to go home. Telling them to go home. And one does and one stays. And I want to tell you a little bit more about what some of these names mean because sometimes when you're going through hard times in your life, you don't necessarily know how to express gratefulness. You just sit in the place that's hurting. And that's where we find Naomi in chapter 1. So Naomi in chapter 1 says, Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant or sweet. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And it sets up the tone of the story, the, the name sweet, the name pleasant. She says, that's not who I am. Call me bitter. Call me Mara. And I don't know in some of those dusty places in your life if you flirted with bitterness or not. But here she is in chapter 1, you know, bitter. And it can be a spiritual place for us to explore and have the feelings and learn from them. But then, as this story goes on, the choice is, do we stay bitter or do we become better? And that unfolds in chapter 2, 3, and 4. Today, she's just bitter. So she gets to stay there for a while. Okay? And Ruth, by, uh, by the name, you think something good's going to happen. So the name Ruth comes from the word reut. And reut means several things. Reut means a woman. And particularly, it means a woman friend. And we have a chart on this that they'll find pretty soon and go up. And this woman friend is a friend who satiates. Like that word? This is all pound up, wound up in the word Ruth, reut. And not only does this woman friend satiate, it's also translated as full to overflowing. Ruth means there's something good going to happen. And I look out at you, some of you people here today, some of you Naomi and Ruth I see out there, and I know you found woman friendship that satiates you full to overflowing. Can you say amen? Okay. So here we're talking about a relationship that brings healing in a woman that has that in their heart to bring to this relationship, into this bitterness. But it puts it next to another word, Moabite. 
So they've been in exile for these 10 years, so they had food with the Moabites, who are not their people. And the Bible tells the Jewish people to stay away from them. They are our enemy. They are people who've killed us. Don't let a Moabite in your family, even after 10 generations. So the book is setting up a tension. Ruth the Moabite, the one who is a blessing, but we have always known as someone we're supposed to avoid. You know anything like that in your life? The one who's a blessing, but that you've been told to avoid? I know some people had to go about choosing whole new families because people thought they'd been told to be avoided. Oh, goodness. This little bitty book of four chapters, it depends on where it's placed in the Bible. Location, location, location. And if you're familiar with your Christian Bible in the Old Testament, when you look at the Hebrew Scripture part, it has Ruth placed right after Judges and right before Samuel. Because Samuel is the one who anoints David, and in the story, Ruth is David's great-great-grandmother. So Ruth has to come before David, right? So in our Christian story, we have put Ruth before Samuel. That's good. It follows the story. It can kind of help us keep things in order. But if we look at the Hebrew tradition, the book of Ruth is not placed there. The book of Ruth is placed way later in the Bible in a section called the writings. It's not placed in this place at all. It's placed as a story that remembers her, not as a story that predicts David's birth but a story that remembers her. And what's so important about that is what was going on at that time. If you'll see in the list up there too is Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, some of this before and after stuff, before we had to leave because of the famine and after we returned, sometimes our lives are just divided up by befores and afters. And in this little family's life, they had the before of, of what it meant to live before their husbands died. And then they had the after. We may have times like that in our life too. In the scripture story, there was the before slavery in Egypt. And there was an after slavery in Egypt. In scripture, there was a before the flood and an after the flood. In this church's life, there's a before the flood and an after the flood. You know? In scripture, there's also another important part. It is before the exile to Babylon and after the exile to Babylon. So when you see the Hebrew writings grouped this way, these, many of these writings are after the exile in Babylon. And that means something different. So I'm framing this for the next four weeks. You won't have to hear it next Sunday. But try and remember, since it's placed here, it actually goes alongside Nehemiah and Ezra. The people were returning from exile they had before being conquered and then coming back after being conquered. And as they came back, they tried to fix things so being conquered would never happen again. They wanted to be safe. And in being safe, they set up life in ways that they thought God wanted. And that meant we had to be pure. Ezra and Nehemiah wrote that we had to follow the law even better if we were not going to get punished in the same way. And so Ezra and Nehemiah were telling people who came back from Babylon, back into the area, back to form families, to get rid of any of the families you've had in the meantime. If you married a Moabite or anyone from another tribe, get rid of them because they're not pure enough. 
and also get rid of the kids you've had with them because those kids aren't pure enough. And so Ezra and Nehemiah were preaching to the people to get rid of your families. Because in order to be pure enough before God, we have to make sure everyone has just the right amount of drops of Jewish blood. Otherwise, we can't include them. So right alongside those two books, hear how oppressive that is? Have you been told you couldn't be a part of someone's family? Has anyone wondered about your blood, your pedigree? Have you ever anyone talk about whether our present is a certain race enough or not? We do it. We do it now. So back in the book of Ruth and Ezra and Nehemiah, they're fighting these struggles. They're fighting the same thing, some of the things we're fighting today, the legalism. And the book of Ruth stands for God's fierce inclusion. The book of Ruth stands for God saying, I'm not about excluding people. I'm about this Moabite. I'm about this person you believe isn't good enough to be about your family. Rescuing all of us. I'm about letting you know that this Ruth person that you're trying to throw away is the very person through whom which our faith relies. And if you include them, you are my people. Fierce inclusion from the book of Ruth that fights Ezra and Nehemiah that were telling people to throw away their kids, throw away the wives, start over again so you can be pure enough. Oh, goodness, how many fights have we had in our world over purity? Oh, 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 if we could just stop. If we could just stop. And I want to also share with you the word that Ruth, loved, Ruth uses to Naomi. Orpah goes home, Ruth stays. And the word they use about Ruth staying is the word, it's in Hebrew, it's spelled D-B-Q. Uh, they don't have vowels, you know, so people assume it's debak, uh, but D-B-Q is the word. Ruth clung to Naomi. Ruth clung to Naomi, is how DBQ is translated. There's only one other place in the scripture where this word is used. It's in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his family and cling to his wife. DBQ, the Bach. For this reason, a person will leave a family and choose another family. For this reason, everything will get realigned. The Bach, choosing family. It's very important to me, I find very satisfying that the one who's called to be the savior, in this case I believe Ruth, chooses a new family. Chooses a family that others would say she should be rejected from. She, DBQ, the Bach, clings. In the scripture, that word means to choose a new family. Oh, can we hear that today? Choose a new family. Have any of you had to choose a new family? Have any of you had that family of choice? You know, you may have your blood family, but it's extended by family of choice. Your family of choice may have a partner and a friend and another friend and children. Your family of choice may include the whole neighborhood and the neighborhood beyond. Our families that we choose might look very different than what some others expect. 
So Ruth chooses Naomi, and she says in a certain way, she says, I will go with you, I will lodge with you, and then the way it is in Scripture is, your people, my people, not will be, but your people, my people, your God, my God. And I will go with you until we die. What a promise. It doesn't change Naomi, though. She's still bitter. It doesn't immediately lift the cloud. It doesn't immediately lift the dust because she's still in her grief of losing all of those family members. And she's not quite sure what's happening when they go home, if they'll be accepted, if they'll find favor, if they won't. They're in the midst of transition. The dust hasn't settled. And she's not yet singing a song of gratitude. Even with Ruth's profession of, I will be with you forever. Sometimes it's kind of hard to get through that dusty place to the place of gratitude. And we need to own it and allow it to be there, but also to encourage our people, our friends, our family, ourselves to take the next steps, which you'll hear chapter 2, 3, 4. Sometimes when you're forced to move or feel like you're starving and need to make a change, we wonder about gratefulness in those moments. I remember when I was feeling starving myself and I moved from here to Chicago with my husband Walter. And when I look back at it, I'd have to tell you I was starving in some ways. The work I was doing just wasn't doing it anymore. And so I thought over there would be better. And I went for 10 years to Chicago and did some wonderful work there. But again, the sense of spiritual starving, of something else needed to be different, I needed to change. It's interesting to me that in both of these times, Walter and I said our vows. It's interesting to me in both of those moments in my life, both going and coming back, we decided to commit to each other again. And before we left, we had been together five years, and you here at Resurrection were holding a big party out in the activities building in 2003 because you'd been flooded out of this building. So over in the activities building, 70 couples gathered on Freedom to Marry Day, and Walter and I came with our rings and our vows and with 70 other couples made our promises to each other. Before we left town, we made the promise and the commitment here with you guys. And I have to tell you something, it makes a difference. I thought, okay, let's go, let's do rings, let's say vows. It makes a difference. Don't do it unless you're planning to keep the commitment, fellas. Okay, it made a difference. I went home and all of a sudden the commitment and the covenant was deeper. We'd been together five years. Don't you think I would have had that by then? Five years in our relationship and it made a difference to say those promises, to put rings on and to have other people say, yes, you are family. All the dust wasn't yet settled, but we decided to make a covenant to one another. If you're starving today, there is hope for you. Hope in choosing a family that supports you, supports your love, supports your life. It may not be a single person, it may be a whole group of people. You may have to leave some family in order to form this new one. But love is stronger than anything else. Song of Songs says stronger than death. Corinthians says love never ends. Do we believe these things and these promises enough to take the risk to move forward in them? 
So here, Ruth and Naomi are moving to new territory where they don't know what's going to happen. Ruth has made a loving promise for the rest of her life. Naomi is still bitter. In that dust that will settle, God will rebuild. God will re rebuild and love. Now, I know some of you who are not in couples are saying, why is he talking about all these couples today? What about us? What about me? You've made your family of choice. I certainly hope, whether single or coupled, that you know you are loved just as well. Even Disney knows it now. It's not just true love's kiss that saves you, right? Have you noticed in the shows, Maleficent? It's Maleficent's own healing of herself that ends up saving the person in need. And I even Frozen, even if you're tired of it, in Frozen, Let it go. she gets saved by her own ability to love. You know, loving action is what God calls us to be about and indeed heals us. In the scripture we heard from 1 John today, the same thing. You are in God's love. When you abide in God's love, God abides in you. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. So it's not just about couples. It's not just about romance. It's about something deeper. It's about loving the whole world. It's about blessing all those around you. One of our members visited another person in the hospital this week and was frustrated to say that they weren't present. It looked like they were drugged too much. And I had to say, your visit was the very presence of God. In that space, in that time, your visit was the very presence of God. Whether they knew you were there or not, you manifested God to them in that place, in that hospital. Another one of our, our members, several of them, during the flood, if you want love to be proud of, go sit in that hospital room and be God's presence. During the flood, people showed up here and stayed till 3 o'clock in the morning to make sure folks would be safe. That's love to be proud of. Some of you called me to say, I have a room, I have space. Does anyone need any place to store things? Does anyone need a place to stay? Not knowing what stranger would be with them. That's love to be proud of. One of our people even jumped into the floodwaters, swam to a car. <laughs> rescued a woman and her dog. He happens to direct our sanctuary choir. That's love to be proud of. So when we hear these promises today of God being faithful to us, to be grateful on and on, even when the dust is still flying around, even if you're still bitter today, the promise of God is this. I will love you forever. You are mine. I abide in you. Keep on loving. It's a love to be proud of. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you.